Welcome to season four of Dirt Road Divinity. On this show, we explore spiritual awakening and connection as an adventure. Often confusing, sometimes messy, but always encouraging us to have the courage to live into all that we are. I'm your host, Lisa Wade, and in episode 38, I have the first of a two-part conversation with Katie Weiss. Katie is an author, podcaster, and channel of a group of multidimensional beings she calls the Chorus. This conversation is deep <laughs> and perspective expanding. You know, the ideas she shares and the challenges she overcame to fully dive into them are both inspiring and mind-blowing. The messages from the chorus are deeply loving, encouraging, and cheering for humanity's continued progress in embracing challenge and maybe even reconsidering the notion of love as simply allowing, allowing a person, place, thing, or idea to be all that it is. Open your mind and your heart and enjoy this fascinating conversation with Katie Weiss. And I am thrilled to have as a guest today, Katie Weiss. Welcome. Pleasure to be here. I'm Thank so you, Lisa. I'm so excited that you're here. Your story fascinates me and your ability to connect with and run with inspiration and run with guidance is, um, well, inspiring and, and kind of a role model for me. So I just want to thank you for that. Now, Katie, I know that you spent a lot of your career in like tech, mm-hmm. in the tech industry, and uh, were, were successful in that endeavor. And then the chorus shows up. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to tell us a bit about who is the chorus? What was the story with when they just showed up? That yeah. had to be kind of kind of surprising, uh, and 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 terrifying, and gut wrenchingly paradigm and world shifting, and <laughs> all the ands, all the above. <laughs> this happens at a spiritual awakening sometimes, mm-hmm. or at least spiritual awakenings. I would say up to this juncture. Yeah. Um. So yes, I was in uh, technology for. I don't know, nearly 20 years, uh, startups, aerospace, things like that. And then I started to get sick, which is another common characteristic of awakening for some, not all, that their body sort of goes sideways, which opened me up, as it often does, to the bigger questions. Why sickness? Why this? How come? You know, Um, and sort of had a long road of finding the next doctor, the next doctor, the next doctor, and no answers. And I would say simultaneously was, you know, starting to wonder about the bigger picture. And it brought me around to realizing that there is a thing called channeling that I had heard that some people did. (laughs) And it sounded pretty amazing Mm -hmm. to be able to ask somebody my questions who might have a very different perspective. That's not just another doctor or, you know, somebody else sharing their journey. I wanted a bigger, different, very different perspective. Yeah. So I would say it took years (laughs) for the chorus to show up because 
because it took years of this illness and me moving through all of these different junctures um, and beliefs as they often talk about to get to a point of openness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, finally one day really, truly, truly, truly opened to that big unknown and something came through that was so, so certain, so, so visceral and also so unclear that I actually had next to no idea if anything had actually happened. <laughs> and then at the same time was like, no, I, I think I felt something mm-hmm. and it was over those next several years then of continuing to try, try again, try again, and staying open to the possibility of what it was that really the the relationship and the understanding of the chorus started to evolve. Now, who, 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 and what are the chorus is the chorus. I I, I don't know which, (laughs) which verb to use there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Great question. Um, so, uh, the chorus is my name for them. I actually named them very early on in one of my channeling sessions when I was totally unclear who the heck I was talking to and they celebrated the name choice. They thought it was frigging fantastic in a way that I didn't understand (laughs) until many months later. Mm -hmm. And then I started to recognize distinctions in the voices that it was actually sort of a big party. I was tapping into and at first it seemed like one big lump you know of like one big voice in unison Mm -hmm. and as I started to hang out with them more it was sort of like hang on you were here last Tuesday (laughs) shown up before (laughs) and they would be like yes that's us you know so I never got to a place of asking them for names Mm-hmm. And when we did start to move into some specifics, like, mm-hmm. you know, where are you from? Mm-hmm. They loved it because they were like, what's a from? What's this concept? Mm-hmm. And so I started to understand that they are wholesale beyond our beliefs, beyond our perspective of reality. And that definition then came out years later where they were like, yes, there are existences beyond belief without the structure of beliefs and that is where they reside they jokingly call our experience here the game a game game. Mm -hmm. and they are firmly on the sidelines of the game very lovingly and delightedly watching because they believe and from their perspective see that we came here by choice Mm -hmm. and they see us from that choice all the way through the game to where we've expanded and we've moved on again. And so they think this whole thing is fantastic. Mm, I'm getting goosebumps all throughout my entire body, which I love. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that. So like spectators of the game, but it sounds like they're like cheering us on, rooting us on. Do, Do they, are they, are they optimistic about how this process is unfolding, where we're headed. (laughs) They are, they love everything we have done here and are doing here so much that there, there really is no concept of optimism because there is no concept that any of it has ever gone wrong. Ah, okay. They see the purpose of limitation 
which mm-hmm. is broadly how they classify what we came here for, mm-hmm. which they say was was actually the resonance with energy that represents to us finiteness and insufficiency. They say those two things are the two core tenets of this reality dimension, depending on how you define dimension. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we are exp- experiencing some version of that, of finiteness or insufficiency, we are, by their view, achieving everything we came here to do. Mm. So it's in the experience that might feel hard that we're actually achieving. Yes. Wow. And so, you know, in the beginning, this wasn't great news. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. Because hard is good. Yeah. I was, I was very sick. I was struggling to take care of my son, let alone do my job, let alone keep up my marriage. I had dwindled, I would say, and I had fewer and fewer social contacts because I just couldn't find the energy to go see a friend or call a friend or do anything. It was like barely get through the day. Mm -hmm. So hanging out with beings who think that all of that is actually tremendous <laughs> was both frustrating and agonizing at times but also very very opening because mm-hmm. when i connect with them and i know as many of your listeners and you are energetically connected you feel it yeah so you know you know it's not bullshit because they express it whole body it's like it's like a love just fills me Mm-hmm. And so it brought me back around and around again to this difference. Why did I think, why was I so certain that all of this was going wrong and had to be prevented and fought and tackled to the ground and changed while I could feel their perspective where all of this was incredible, mm. beautiful, victorious and achievement. And so oscillating between these two views in the beginning would sometimes take me days or weeks where I'd have an experience with them come back into sort of our reality and really come crashing down under the weight of all these things that I couldn't reconcile with their perspective, but eventually would turn back around again and wonder again, well, what, what would they think of this? Well, how would they view this? And I'd come back again So for years, I didn't tell anybody that this was happening because it didn't necessarily change much Mm -hmm. in my life. It was like a place of prayer or a place of meditation. Mm -hmm. And I was also very terrified of telling people that I was doing this because it was sick. And if you tell people when you're sick that you're also hearing voices that are telling you that your illness is okay. (laughs) They're probably going to think that those voices may not be helping you. Right. And I understood that perspective, but also I understood that they couldn't feel all the other things I was feeling. It wasn't just like, it wasn't just like a fortune cookie, like typed out, like this Mm -hmm. illness is okay. Right. There was a whole other world perspective, sensations, knowingnesses that I was starting to experience Mm -hmm. that I didn't even have a perspective of at the time. It sounds like it went much beyond just your, your, your mind's ability to hold it and kind of figure it out or express it to others. But you're feeling, you know, it's the emotional, the full body sensation, the spiritual connection. So really getting into those parts beyond you 
that when we communicate the person on the other side, so often it's just the words connecting with their mind that they, that they can rely on to try to understand. So I can see in your description, how that would be challenging. Now, were you this, this, this new experience, this new relationship communication, was it consistent with like, or at odds with how you were raised with your cultural, like where you fit in culture? Was it a huge shock that you needed to get over or was, you know, was it like, oh, okay, you know, cool. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So I think, you know, most of the time when we approach these spiritual topics, it would be easy to understand sort of like a religious background that may have gone against this. And I was raised Irish Catholic, mm-hmm. but I was also raised by some pretty open-minded parents that even though we went to church every Sunday, they also, my dad would meditate, yeah. you know, so they were open yeah. to just sort of that peace of heart, that peace mm-hmm. that you feel in your body and, and how, how to find that. And that there are many ways to I don't know, commune with sort of the larger love or God, as they, they would say, right? Prayer. My mom still prays mm-hmm. and I, I see fine lines between prayer and meditation. She goes to be someplace quiet, you know, with hope. Um, but Love that. But, you know, in actuality, I would say the background that caused the greatest challenge for me was my career background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it was science. So even though being raised Irish Catholic, I was still open to the idea of broader concepts of like God or, you know, spirits or the beyond, Mm -hmm. but science didn't leave a lot of room for that. Yeah. So I would go to work every day with spectrologists, you know, phenomenologists, people who are engineers, mathematicians, data analysts. And even though I knew many of them so well, and they were friends, I was still deeply afraid of them finding out that I was channeling. Yeah. I get that deely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where, where it's almost like the credibility, you know, the professional credibility, you're afraid will go out the window. And when it's so often in our culture, if we can't put an equation to it or, you know, dissect it or x-ray it or medicate it or, you know, whatever, then we don't like to believe it exists. And when people that we care about, you know, and that we respect might look at us with that, what have you been spoken? (laughs) Exactly. I was at the apex of, of where you need physical evidence. Like Mm. that is it. Science is requiring of that. I say for physicists, you know, and I got along really well with physicists because they're kind of open to like, hey, the double split experiment, like, you know, it's all, it's all, you know, a result of sort of our perspective, Um, just not far off. You could say some of what these other perspectives that I have encountered are suggesting. Mm. Um, But there was, there was quite a few years of imposter syndrome of, you know, the more the things with the chorus progressed the more I felt like I was hiding pieces of myself because the chorus was sort of growing in the closet. (laughs) I started in the closet and then the closet stuff kept piling up and piling up and piling up. I get it. Yep. You know, this is not a process I recommend for others. I would say maybe (laughs) open the closet before the door bursts open as it did in my case, but also it's hard to see 
how it could work out when you are dealing with fundamentally new things. And a lot of what this represents for us as we are awakening and coming into contact with other beings or other concepts or whatever is fundamentally new. There is no other example of it. It is new. It is of the present moment. And mm. so if you look at other examples that you've already encountered, if you look at other eras of your life that you have already lived, there really is nothing in that to inform how this will turn out. It is a true unknown. Mm. So you either have to confront that and be like, okay, there's there's no amount of preparation. There's no amount of analysis. There's no amount of like getting my ducks in a row because you just don't know what new energy will look like. It is an evolution into that present moment presence of trust. Yeah. And for some people, the excitement and the, the adventure of that is like, let's go. And for others, that concept has to be scary as hell. I mean, yes. just, ah! yes. Wow. So ultimately, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, but please go ahead. I was going to say, you know, by the chorus's perspective, so we would see a difference between these two options. We would say, okay, I can either wait till my closet of the unknown explodes <laughs> all over my life. Totally valid process. Or I can open the closet and, and face that unknown in that present moment and just trust in whatever appears mm -hmm. from these leaps of faith. Now I you know, took option A and got very mm -hmm. deathly sick, ended up mm -hmm. in the ER, at which point it all came out to my family that I had also been channeling and all of this had been going on. As I am aware that telling your family this from a bed in the ER is the probably the worst place possible to admit <laughs> oh, that you're wow. hearing voices. <laughs> yeah. It was brutal. It was hard. It was scary for them. It was scary for me. Now, did it all eventually sort itself out in incredible ways that I never could have predicted? Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. Relationships came to the forefront, admissions from other family members who had experienced similar things, mm. connections with other, I mean, did it all start to unfold in a way that felt like it was unraveling? Yes. But then also, had I opened the door, had I you know, taking it out or tried to show it, would it also have felt like it was all happening in a way that was unraveling? Probably. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we look at the impact of these choices and the chorus is like, well, really, you can't mess it up. Like, really, you're on the spiritual path and the flavors with which you choose to experience it are all still going in the same direction. Huh. You're totally fine. You can let the closet explode. You can open the closet door only on Tuesdays. Then you can decide you're going to close the closet door again. Then you can go on a trip around the world. These are all simply ways of experiencing your growing connection to these things. You're growing love. You're growing expansion into these things, which is all assured. Mm -hmm. And so as you sort of rise up to their perspective, it really does start to feel lighter and a lot more fun. Yeah. Like maybe today I'm going to let the closet explode. Let's see what happens. You know, <laughs> maybe Welcome I'm going to build circus. three more closets. You know, it's really just like, <laughs> let's see what the universe does here. Let's see what the universe does here. Because the more times shit hits the fan and somehow you still land in a loving place. Mm. 
the more you start to see it. And I think the, the difficult part at this juncture in awakening for all of us humans is that some people are just starting their timeline of this. They do not yet have as many examples of landing in a loving place, whereas others, like I know many of those that you've interviewed, Mm -hmm. went through all sorts of chaos in, in a variety of flavors, yeah. but then have now found sort of a greater acceptance of themselves, different ways of connecting, you know, an allowance. So there are those of us who, if you were going to use a linear concept, are a little further ahead. And we've built the beliefs, these, these experiences that are like, you know, it does work out in mysterious ways. Mm. I love that. Thank you for that. And that's, there's something so in, encouraging and um, supportive in that. J just the idea, you, you can't mess it up. You know, you're already on the path. You can't mess it up. And the feeling that we're not being judged for not being better at it or faster at it or deeper at it, or am I not supposed to be at 12D by right by now? You know, that, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, so the chorus, you and the chorus wrote a book. We did. And the book of human awakening. Yeah. How's that for a non-auspicious title? <laughs> that, 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 that's some good stuff. And it, very much I, the book, it, it felt like very much talked about. Um, there were so many energy conversations throughout, throughout the book and so many things that as I'm reading through, I just went, whoa, you know, like the head going, that's awesome. You know? But it kept feeling just like this, the, this stream of love and, and almost like cheerleading throughout the entire, the entire thing. If you were to sum up the book, I, I, I know this is the worst question in the world to ask, but like, what, what are the, the nugget takeaways that if, if people only got, you know, a couple of, of, concepts from the book what, what do you think are some of the ones that are, are maybe the building blocks of understanding to where other things can open the door you know to other things being possible mm -hmm. well I would say first of all you hit the nail on the head in terms of the energetic conversation that's happening mm -hmm. in the book so the book of human awakening is their first book, and it's meant to be an introduction to this process that we're all going through, which to them is expansion from this point of limitation, not like an ejection off of it, right? Yeah. We're keeping one hand on the limitation as we expand. And mm -hmm. so it's sort of a transformative process. Um, and I would say that that's probably the standout sensation that most people report getting from the book is though there are many topics that they move through. So they touch on life after death, they mm -hmm. touch on trust, they touch on emotions like anger and fear. They're giving their understanding of it though. And their understanding is inherently from that loving perspective. So as they talk about fear, we feel like a, oh, it all makes sense. Like there's, as opposed to that friction of like, oh, I don't like fear. I don't like feeling afraid, right? Their perspective is one of like, it's beautiful and incredible and allowing it. And so it doesn't negate our perspective. It's a celebration of our perspective in a new way where you can mm -hmm. say, I totally understand 
why being a human in this experience, I didn't love the sensation of fear. And I can also see how from their perspective, it was an absolutely incredible creation that we made as part of resonating here. This it's, is like the opposite of spiritual bypassing in the sense of rather than let's just not look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Make it go away to look at it and go, huh. And there's something about with that come from that. It's almost like it loses its charge. You know, it loses the, the, the negative charge. Yes. It, it's a great way of saying it, Lisa, because it, it loses the way we energize it. So they're like, you know, it's through your experience here and your beliefs that you energize the experience of them. When you start to release something like fear, the experience of fear transforms and you feel that you feel a little less driven by the fear, maybe mm -hmm. a little less avoidant of the things that make you afraid. And instead it's sort of like, oh, okay, I can, I can allow for the presence of that, of that fear. And that's what they say is transcendence, is allowing this. Love, by their definition, is allowing. Uh, and so when we love something, we are allowing it to be everything it is. Everything it is. The good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, the weirdness, the inconsistencies. We're allowing all of that. And as we do, the friction parts that we might have stopped and stared at and really like spent you know, years or a lifetime battling with, you know, that is what loses its power and we move through it mm -hmm. in, in the expansion, which is ultimately human awakening. <laughs> That's huge. That's huge. And the uh, love as allowing, uh, you know, as we talk about things like concepts, like unconditional love, yeah. which I think can be a challenge for a lot of people just in terms of what and how, and even when they're being jerks and, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. all of the, all of the things that we don't want to allow. Yes. So and so allowing. it's such a great point because when I was sick, I was like, how the frick, excuse, you know, I'll keep my language clean. I'm cursed like a sailor normally, but <laughs> I knew I liked you <laughs> another commonality. <laughs> So how the frick do I love that I'm sick? Mm, and yeah. it took me a long time to realize that that's not actually what they were saying. Yeah. That was my belief talking through. And they said, can you love the fact that you don't love being sick? Can you love Ooh. your perspective? So typically when we look at unconditional love, mm. not always. But often it has to do with something out there that we don't love, that we feel like we got to get okay with somehow. Yep. Yep. It is a way of dismissing our own perspectives Ooh. as opposed to saying, no, actually I'm right. I just don't like it. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay yeah. because there is inherently in that a validation of our perspective. And when it comes from that loving, allowing place, a validation of all perspectives. So it's okay that they mm -hmm. don't feel the way I do. Mm -hmm. There's so much in the universe. There are mm -hmm. so many perspectives. There are so many ways to live life, to exist, to believe, to transform, to die, to re rebirth yourself. There's so much. 
And as you allow more of your perspective as part of the universe of variety, Mm-hmm. the more you find that you sort of blossom into the diversity. Mm. I love that. Thank you for that image. One of the things I'll be honest that I've been, I've been struggling with, especially the last, I don't know, uh, six years or so is this idea of being kind of an observer of mm-hmm. all the duality going on, you know, all the polarity Going, and I'm thinking politics, I'm thinking, uh, you know, cultural isms, uh, you know, so many different things. And coming from a background of politics and advocacy, yeah. not getting in there, putting on, you know, putting on the gloves and duking it out, um, that no longer resonates with me at all. But there's a part of me that's like, but if I'm here to help perpetuate positive, you know, movement or change, shouldn't, shouldn't I be on the front lines duking it out? And it's so interesting to hear, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to take what you just said and apply it to, to that idea that maybe there's a different way of making, of making positive change, you know, or, or, or being in a state of allowance, but do I want to allow the crap, you know, that I'm seeing, or do I want to be acting to try to, you know, that's where the push and pull sometimes comes in. I, I think, you know what I'm talking about, but what totally. did I say to that? Totally. It was like, wait, I'm supposed to just get okay with being sick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that feels backwards. That yeah. feels like, you know, all of this will then just come crashing down. I'm barely holding it up as it is. Mm-hmm. So do you feel, let's explore that a little bit. Do you feel like you would wish to be in those places or just that you'd rather not, but you feel like you should? Well, I think it's a matter of feeling like I, I, I want to do something like be active in some way that can make a positive difference, but feeling like I recognize that the old ways of the past aren't it. And so I'm not going there, but asking, okay, well, what is a, a way? And, and the, you know, where this really came up for me, um, presidential politics is, <laughs> is an area, um, but, but the conversation a couple of years ago around um, that, that it's not just a couple of years ago, it's always and and continuing, but around race and especially in Oklahoma at the time, um, it, it much came to kind of a head at the same time. And here I am trying to figure out how can, how can I make a positive difference? Do I need to be on the front lines? Do I not? And when I tune in and ask, it's like, no, front lines isn't your job anymore. You know, we can't solve a problem at the same level of consciousness in which it was created. So we're asking you to, to move into a different way of looking at things, mm-hmm. work with higher dimensional or higher frequency tools and approach it your way from there. And on one hand, I'm like, thank you so much for giving me something, you know, positive and proactive I can do. And on the other hand, I'm feeling this guilt about all the shoulds of, but wouldn't society or people that I care about who are on the front lines think I should be there? Does that, Mm -hmm. and maybe I just kind of announced it for myself, you know, figured it out there that the shoulds are really never the path. <laughs> Other people but, shoulds, at least. The powerful sensations, nonetheless, right? Yeah. When yeah. we feel a guilt about yeah. not having done something, whoa, 
we feel yeah. it. Like yeah. think of the times you felt like really bad, like let somebody down or whatever. Like that is not an insignificant feeling, right? That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's big for us. Yeah. And it can be also very distracting. And, you know, by the course's definition and by my experience of it as a human, it can prevent movement. When we feel guilty, you sort of reach like an end of a tether where it's as far as you can go a little bit before something inside us tells us that we have to resolve that thing we feel guilty about. We have to like find a path that resolves that sensation in order to move forward. And so it can sometimes be an aspect of our limitation of the group consensus. The group consensus by the choruses view is sort of like all of us who are participating in the same version of beliefs. It's a group game where we all as humans are sharing the same database. And one of the ways that we stayed in lockstep with each other is by these sensations that they, they classify sort of in a lump of like guilt, obligation, Even lightly, the concepts of responsibility, when we feel we are responsible for somebody else's fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. that is a way that we are sort of keeping ourselves from becoming a tall poppy, we might say, keeping ourselves fulfilling the duties as opposed to wandering off and doing something sort of new and incredible and inspired potentially. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we're starting to awaken to this now right we have phrases that's like you can't make anybody else happy that's a revolution according to the chorus because they're like that means you're enough aware of your tendency to believe that you should step into somebody else's and you've come to the recognition that it doesn't work very well boy that's a hard lesson there too Woo! yeah but yeah And very hard for those of us who are starting to awaken first, because it really goes up against a lot of our beliefs about risk and prevention and protection. Like we're going right in the face of sort of like the heart of a lot of this limitation when we question our sensations of guilt. Mm -hmm. We're doing this right now across the board in terms of like family members or who are not doing what the family business was. They're stepping out of generational obligation, we might say. Could also say generational guilt. (laughs) Uh, We feel it, right? Um, And so I think that when we come up to a place of guilt, what the chorus would say is it's a lighthouse. There is something in the sensation of guilt that is calling you back over and over and over again, because there's probably a belief in there somewhere that if you face it unlocks a big aspect of the unique being that you are and allows it to be expressed here. So I find it very interesting Mm -hmm. that you grapple in some ways with this calling that you had earlier in your life Mm -hmm. had some success with Mm -hmm. went out and did sort of spiritual changes and all sorts of life changes and what have you. And now you feel like I could go, I should go, I need to go. I can't go back in that direction. Now, I don't know what it is, Mm -hmm. but I know that when someone brings up, like, I just can't get over this thing that I still feel somehow attached to, there's like a mini anchor Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this question for me. And it's like, Oh, (laughs) <laughs> that means there's there's a lighthouse in there 
-hmm. It's calling you to it. There's something in there to understand or unlock. And sometimes it is the beliefs that tell us like, no, it's not possible. You can't make change there or that wouldn't work out or it'd be mm -hmm. just like it was before. Or it's all those beliefs that you're actually untying one by one. What if it's new? What if it's a present moment thing? What if I'm different? What if it's different? It's not to say that eventually you will or you won't go do that work again. It's that these are the beliefs you're awakening to by way of this path and these sensations. And as you go and look at them, that's when those new ideas come into you. It's sort of like, oh, you know what? Like I had that idea while I was working in those spaces. That was a really good business idea. And then, you know, you face it again and you're sort of like, you know what? There was that gal or that guy that I really connected with. And I wonder what they're doing today. It's so it's sort of like the new path births out of mm -hmm. the willingness to allow for the mm. fact that like, yeah, I feel guilty. Okay. And you can get curious about that. You can sit with it. You can bring it on walks, but you will allow it to be something true and helpful for us allows it to give to us what it is it's trying to express. The image of the lighthouse just was a total game shifter for me. You know, instead of seeing that thing, whatever the thing is, is like some big ball of nasty gunky it that's to be yeah. avoided at all costs. The idea of it being a lighthouse of, hey, there's something here that can, you know, that needs your attention. It could be damaging if it doesn't have your attention, maybe, you know, just like, you know, like a lighthouse doing its job, but rather than just go away from the lighthouse, actually go, oh, okay. I see you. Yeah. What are you really trying to show me? What can I really learn from this? Exactly. Woo. That's huge. That's huge. And it, it takes, um, it takes presence. Mm -hmm. Right. It's stepping out of the ideas that we had about the thing or how it could only go, or this is what had happened before. And it's, it's stepping into like a newness with it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it only comes in short spurts in the beginning, right? Sometimes you can just like open to it just a little bit, but then it, it sort of stretches over time. And these uncomfortable topics that we have about like, oh, I feel so guilty about that. Still, it happened in college. And I still feel guilty about it. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, so many of those. Like, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, if it is a lighthouse, then what could it be showing you? I'll give you a lighter example of a friend of mine. And, and this is not a, it's not an all concluding example, but I think you feel the energetic openness of it. I think your mm -hmm. listeners will feel it. So shame is a close cousin of this energetic thing to the chorus of like guilt, right? And shame, shame yeah. is an even harder lock yeah. of like, ooh, yeah. I can't even look at that. I feel so ashamed of it. And they're like, oh, it's a burning bright lighthouse. Like mm -hmm. there's your infinite nature is hidden behind this. So I had a friend of mine who was helping in political circles. She was sort of just an assistant and then she kind of worked her way up and then she was kind of like more involved. And one day she was chosen to get up and speak at a meeting of sorts about a new bill in the state, et cetera. But she was not the representative. I mean, this was not her job, but they, she was chosen to go up and sort of present it. She gets up there oh boy. with her notes and she's so nervous, terrified, nervous. 
and she sets her notes on the podium. And then she goes, that's the last thing I remember. She had some sort of burst of spiritual openness. And she said, my mouth opened. I started talking and she goes, I don't know what actually came out of my mouth, but by the end of my short presentation, people were applauding. There were people who came up to her afterwards and told her what a great presentation it was. Mm. There were people who still run into her years later and still remember the things that she said. Wow. She has since felt so ashamed of this moment, moved on in her life, started doing other careers and other things, and now is finally coming back around to the memory of that thing and how it still bothers her. She's like, this happened years ago, but it's, it's like, it still bugs me. I still feel bad about it. I can't believe I had the notes. Why didn't I just read the notes? Now, I don't know how this is going to conclude for my friends, but talking to the chorus, do you feel kind of what's happening for her? Yeah. It's like, she had an opening. She sort of turned away from it in a way that she needed to move on with her life and did so and developed a lot of skills and connections. And now she's being brought back around to the lighthouse Mm. place where the door started to open and it was maybe as much as it needed to be in that moment. And now this is going to, you know, probably keep coming up for her until she'll start to see maybe part of her inherent ability, things Mm. that she can do. Yeah. The unique aspects of her that are that are sort of waiting for her in this lighthouse moment of shame. Wow. That's a powerful, a powerful example. And and for many of us now on this side of the channeling happens and I'm doing stuff with it. And we're looking at that going, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Oh wow, can you even imagine? I would be so excited. <laughs> but how different people would react to that in different ways. You know, I always know when I actually open up and just let what what the team wants to share be shared is so much better than if I would have, you know, try, tried to think it out in my head and then go from a place of, of you know, me relying on myself. And so that's fascinating. Yeah. And for that and to come this, back and still be a bother. Wow. And it's this walking the path that awakens us to these beliefs that sort of kept us from that flowing place. That is, by their view, the whole purpose of being here. We limited our perspective of the infinite. Mm. End of story. That's that's what we came here for. We wanted to be without. We wanted to not know. We wanted to experience mystery. We wanted to sort of know what it would be like without this connection. And there was this creative world that we created for the purposes of that. And so when we walk through these beliefs, really what we're awakening to is what we created in this perspective and, and then ultimately reconnecting Mm -hmm. to that infinite place, to that flowing place. And so sometimes we think, or, you know, even I'm guilty of it too, like, well, like, can't we get rid of all this other crap? I just want the flowing place. And they're like, well, it is by way of moving through all this other stuff that you're actually doing the work. You're doing the work by living it, by holding a conscious perspective every day in your life and seeing that and seeing that belief and realizing that and understanding that connection that you're sort of like 
peeling off the layers of the beliefs that we had created perfectly, beautifully by their definition and entering back into that flowing place. So what, what do they say? You had mentioned before, one of the chapters in the book is about what happens after death. Mm -hmm. And given all this, we, we, we choose to come to a place of limitation and then we're out of it. Are we back to limitlessness? Great question. So it's not a straightforward answer, but I'm, so I'll give you their idea of how they define sort of our dimension and then, and then it might make more sense in that context. Perfect. Okay. So by their view, our dimension loosely is defined by all those who hold beliefs. Mm -hmm. So when we say the physical dimension, we're like, oh, physical stuff that we can like touch or smell or taste. And they say that is an interesting expression of the beliefs that you hold. But actually, we <laughs> consider any being that holds beliefs to be part of your physical dimension. So let's say you meet a being. Yeah. So let's say you meet a being who also dies. We die too. Okay. So we've got a similar belief already, but let's say that that being only dies after 80,000 years and we die after like a hundred, give or take mm -hmm. to us, us and that being would seem to be very different, practically different, different species, different races, or however you want to define it. But by the course's definition, they would say, does that being believe in death? It's an embodiment of it. It's experiencing it. Is there something inside of it that it is resonating with that is a concept called death? Mm. And do you in your physical body somehow resonate and express an experience called death? Then they would be like, you're playing the same game. You're in the same, you're in the same game of beliefs. They have a slightly different flavor of beliefs, but they are holding a belief and physically expressing it the way you are holding a belief and physically expressing it. So it puts the question of life after death into a very different context, because mm. now it seems to be way more vast, way more infinite, because the question then becomes, what do we believe after we die? If I died today and I went to the next place, however you define it, what would I believe there? Do I stop holding beliefs at all and go up to where the chorus is? Or is it possible that I could maybe still hold beliefs about my life here, about feeling regret about my life here, about maybe needing to come back and try again? And so to the chorus, there is no straight shot. There is no one path. Everybody gets to choose sort of different flavors of these things and go everywhere. It's, it's not certain. You could graduate from beliefs when you die. You could still hold a lot of human beliefs where you are resonating with softer versions of it, but mm -hmm. maybe still resonating with protection. Maybe you hang out and protect the ones you love after you die. Interesting. So there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of paths. And, you know, ultimately the underlying structure for the chorus is the energetic structure, which we call beliefs. Now, I will say by their descriptions, humanity is in a very extremely limited location in the game. You could almost say the center point or the heart of it. 
the people here, we people here are loosely advanced players. <clears throat> and so it is kind of improbable, not impossible, but kind of improbable that we would pass on from this point and go like way out the physical dimension all the way to no beliefs. It is a little more probable that a lot of us hang around a little more. <clears throat> we graduate to a slightly different version of what mm -hmm. we believed here. Fascinating. Huh. Steps. Progress. Okay. <clears throat> I will say this is there by their explanation. And we know we talk about a lot of these concepts in the podcast in more detail. Mm -hmm. Each episode is sort of like a different exploration of a different aspect of their beliefs. And then also how that how that works for us as humans. Mm -hmm. um, but in one of the season one podcast episodes, they talk about, they and I talk about the idea of karma. Mm -hmm. And they say that this was actually an understanding by other beings that we could still perceive of the cyclical nature of our beliefs. And they were like, hey, you die, but then you believe all this stuff that makes you reincarnate here and do it again and do it again and do it again. And when they expressed that to us, we could only really see it from our limited perspective. And we said, oh, you're saying we're stuck. <laughs> hmm. From a different perspective, it's not exactly what they were saying. They were simply reflecting to us sort of the energetic loop that we're in and that we created. Now, the chorus thinks the energetic loop we created is incredible, is fantastic. <laughs> the idea of stuck is amazing to them because it's an energetic, always expanding universe. So we had to create this experience of being stuck. And this is, you know, one of the amazing places in the universe where you can actually experience it. <laughs> so create so, the limit. And that's just another one of the limits. I wow. mean, how, what an expression of limitation to be stuck to mm -hmm. not be able to escape something yeah. in a universe where everything you want is granted to you in the instant you want it because it's all love all the time. And we're like, no, it's the same thing all over again. And there's nothing I can do to get out of it. Or maybe I can get out of it if I do this stuff over a long period of time, but I really got to pay for it. And they're like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. You guys are amazing at this. You're really creative. <laughs> At keeping yourself small or big. I I, I don't yeah. know. Wow. Ooh. Thank you for joining us for part one of this fascinating conversation with Katie Weiss. Join us again next week for part two, where we get even deeper, if that's possible. Between now and then, if you'd like to connect, you can find Dirt Road Divinity on social media, Facebook or Instagram, or you can email me at lisa at dirtroaddivinity.com if you have show ideas or would maybe even like to be a guest. Until next week, lean in to what may exist beyond belief. <laughs>